0: If you've got your Bibles, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off in the series, Unpopular. Uh, if you haven't realized it yet, these are a series of messages that are on unpopular subjects a lot of times, but uh, find James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, 13 through 17. Yeah, you go ahead and stand as we look at these verses. And uh, this morning, I want to talk about the unpopular life of purpose I um, never cease to be amazed at how many times in a a life group, and whether it was last week when I was sitting uh, in for Jeff and the with the college students, or this week uh, sitting in uh, our uh, fellowship hall. I I won't say with the older adults, but um, but uh, uh, just as much excitement in both life groups. But each time, what we discussed was really. Foundational for what the sermon was going to be on, so I hope you 'll find your place in a life group for a number of reasons, but also because of the, you can discover how the Spirit of God is working all this together in this community of faith of what he 's trying to teach us. Um, last week, we talked about the unpopular subject of purity and the pursuit of purity, and so if you weren 't here, I encourage you to go back, go online, and listen to that message. but today we 're talking about the unpopular life of purpose. We're in James chapter 4, and we hear some very confronting words for every believer and for every unbeliever in this passage. So if you found your place, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life, or what your life will be? For you are a bit of smoke. Some translations say, You are a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Father, I pray that you would give us an understanding of this passage, but an urgency to apply this in our lives, to make disciples of those that you've placed in our life to influence. Help us to help them to understand the significance of this. I pray especially for parents and grandparents who have the privilege, as James was teaching this to the church, that we have the privilege to pass it on to a new generation, the importance of a life of purpose and, and a discovery of what that purpose in life really is and who it is that we're living for. So you guide us not only in understanding it, but you guide us, Lord, today in living it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you got to hear from a very tired mission team, a Peru team. We had had quite a day of travel the day before. And even though I've been on a plane for 16 hours before when I was flying to India, I believe that the flight from Lima, Peru to Miami, Florida was the longest flight I've ever been on in my life. It was only about five hours, but it felt like about 35 hours. I had a big amen from my wife. I mean... I had been, we had a great week in Peru, and we had a chance to minister to these pastors and to their families and, and to young people, and man, I was so fired up to watch our team minister in so many situations, and so God worked, and we're ready to go back, and that that was exciting, but then about Thursday afternoon, when it was finally time for us to begin to relax and debrief a little bit and go and do a little touring of the of the nation there, and and see some of the beautiful scenery there in the uh, very, very very high altitudes uh, that 's when I ended up with a fever with this with this flu that whether I took it with me or got it over there, whatever it was, I developed a fever and then, um, as we were getting ready to fly home, I, I was getting past the fever part, but still sick, and then my wife was getting a fever, and we 're traveling in the plane. Uh, If you went to the back of the plane, it was probably about 65, 70 degrees back there. If you went to the front of the plane, it was 65, 70 degrees, but right there in the middle, it was like 114 degrees where our seats were. It was hot. I mean, people were taking off as much clothes as they possibly could on an airplane, and and it was miserable. The the lady that was sitting in front of me that had had way too much to drink, and she gave us a medical scare as the plane was about to land. Tina was calling for Nurse Joni to come, and help out, and she had already spilt her glass of wine on me earlier in the flight, and I thought the preacher's going to get off the plane smelling like alcohol. This isn't good. It was just a long flight. I remember Pastor Ben saying, well, at least we're going to land in Miami. We are going to be in the United States. I'm thinking, I hope so. I really am. I just wanted to get to where I'm going, you know. And my life motto has always been, enjoy the journey, you know. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Don't get so focused on the destination that you don't enjoy the journey. But I'll tell you something. On that flight, I started thinking about the destination. And then I was hoping they would even let us in the country. I, I was thinking, man, you know, they might say, you guys, you, you're bringing something into this country. You're, you're sick. You know, you got to stay here at the airport or, or in an infirmary or something like that. But I, just, I was ready to touch down. I was ready to get home. I was ready to take a hot shower for a change. I was ready to get in my bed. And, and I'm, I'm, usually on mission trips, I'm not ready to come home. I'm ready to stay. But I'll tell you, after that flight, I was looking forward to arriving at home. Sometimes in our spiritual journey, we live that way, right? We, we, the things that are happening around us make us just ready to be at home with our Lord. We find ourselves praying, even so, come, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. James here is writing, and and the book of James is wonderful. It's a a book of practical and authentic living. It takes what we know about the epistles and the letters, and it kind of combines it. I I have have a feeling that James himself, this half-brother of Jesus, I have a feeling that he loved the book of Proverbs because it has this Wonderful proverbial wisdom in the midst of uh, uh, this letter that he's writing to encourage the church how to live out their faith and he starts talking about this life of purpose and who you're living for and, and and thinking about tomorrow and and he he points out that life is a vapor. I remember standing on the beach one time and letting the sand sift through my hands until I got down to just one grain of sand and I thought you know life on this planet compared to eternity in heaven, is smaller, infinitely smaller than that grain of sand compared to all the sand on all the beaches in all the world. Now, think about that for a little bit. It'll make your life seem somewhat insignificant. But yet, all the decisions we make in this life totally affect how we spend that eternity. Now, there's basically four views that Americans have on the ways that we deal with the idea of this life as a vapor. And the first one is, is one that says, when it's over, it's over. It's the, remember when Looney Tunes used to go off. That's all, folks, right? It's when it's over, that's all, that's it. And several years ago when the survey was done, 20% of Americans were saying, listen, I just think when you die, you're dead. It's all over with. That's all she wrote. There's nothing to think of past that. No judgment, no heaven, no hell, no anything. That number is growing, by the way. Now, there's another group that says, it's not over, but everyone will be okay. It's not over, but you know, if there is a God, He loves us all and He wants us to all go to heaven anyway, so I just don't worry about eternity because when it's over, we're all going to be okay, whatever that means, whatever it looks like. Another group says, it's not over when we die, but I will be okay. If you ask people if there's a heaven and a hell and they believe that there is a heaven and a hell, 55% of Americans believe that even if there is a hell, they're not going there, that they're going to heaven, that they're going to be okay. Whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, they believe their good works will outweigh their bad deeds, and so they say, listen, it's not over when it's over. There is a judgment, but I'm good enough. I'm going to be okay. And then there's a group that says it's not over when we die, and I need some help. I'm concerned. Now, 85% of Americans, which is interesting because remember 20% in the same survey said when it's over, it's over, but 85% think that there should be some kind of judgment. In other words, that that some people are so bad, surely they're going to have to have some kind of eternal consequence, some kind of judgment that they Face. And so the numbers don't always stack up when you ask for people's opinions or their thoughts on eternity. And then there are a, a group of people that, this is a growing crowd according to uh, pastor and scholar James Emery White that we had a chance to listen to a couple of years ago. He's written a book called The Rise of the Nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns, because when they have to check off on a list of religion, they say none of the above, and, and they say, we base it, the, the nuns, this fastest growing segment in our society, especially among young people, the nuns, it, it's not that they're atheists or agnostics, it's that they just don't even think about it. Like, well, I haven't thought about God. I haven't thought about it. It's not even registering in their minds. They, they, they have no concept of eternity because they just don't even think about what will happen when this life ends, which tells me that the fastest growing segment when it comes to these worldviews are those who are living presumptuously in this life. Interestingly, in case that discourages you, church, from doing evangelism, interestingly, this crowd that's called the nuns are so nice, they're so uh, sweet, and they, they place a high value on being kind and being sweet and being nice and, and that sort of thing, which is wonderful, right? Right? of them said, if a good friend invites me to church, I'll go with them. 82%. We're afraid to invite this crowd to church or to share the gospel with them because we're like, man, they don't believe in anything. And yet four out of five of them would come to church with you if you would simply invite them and ask them to come. But I don't think we really believe they would do that. And we don't leverage their niceness to our advantage. And so we need to be reaching these people with the gospel of Christ. But listen, I want to share a statement, and I'll paraphrase it a little bit, by Robert Lewis in our uh, Men's Fraternity Bible Studies, his study called The Great Adventure. He says, the most satisfied people on the planet will say this. They have made this decision, consciously or subconsciously, they say, I will... I will fervently live my life for the glory of God, according to my design, how God has made me, I will fervently live my life for the glory of God, according to my design, with the end in mind. In other words, I I know that there's going to be a judgment day someday, and understanding I'll stand before God one day. I'm going to fervently live my life for his glory in relationship with him, according to how he has made me, my passions, my, my gifts, my pursuits, with the end in mind. Now, what do we need to do if we're Christians, or some of us here may not even be born again, and you can, you can take these same steps this morning, and make a decision that will change your life. But all of us as Christians, what do we need to do? First of all, if we go back to this text in verse 13, we need to repent of presumptuous living for self. We were not created to live for ourselves, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as we saw in our life group this morning, we were created to bring him pleasure, to give him glory, not to live for Ourselves. And so in verse 13, the presumption comes when he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel. I will do this or I will do that. It becomes about me, such and such a city, spend a year there and do business and make a profit. There's nothing wrong with having dreams, there's nothing wrong with having plans and saying, Man, this is how this is going to work out. This is, going to ha- this is how this is going to shape up in my future. This is what I'm striving for. I've often taught people to have plans and to have goals because if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. The problem is the presumption here when you leave God out of the equation and you say, listen, this is who I am. This is for me. This is my purpose and rather than focusing on God's purpose. And when we leave God out of the equation, according to verse 16, he says, this is arrogance. And not only is this boasting arrogance, he says, this boasting is evil. The devil in all of hell would get you to live for self rather than live for the one who created you and gave his son to redeem you, to give you life. And even born-again Christians fall back into the trap of saying, okay, I'm giving God Sunday morning. I'll give God a time of worship, and then I'll put Jesus back on the shelf Monday through Saturday, and then I'll live for me the rest of the week. And if I do things that make me feel real guilty, then I'll better get back to church and live for God for a couple of hours to try to make amends for that. And we totally miss the point of why we were created and why we were redeemed. There's a certain spiritual presumption that Christians have. Let me define spiritual presumption this morning. Spiritual presumption is when you have plans that are based on something that is uncertain. You don't know what tomorrow holds, right? Unstable, your plans are built on all of the wrong philosophies rather than on the Word of God, or eternally insignificant, when you're simply living for and passionate about things that do not matter for eternity and and the reason we know Christians are guilty of that is so many of them lose their joy over things that don't matter for time and for eternity and and so we get caught up in this rat race of life keeping up with everybody else we're either leaving God out of the equation or sometimes it's not leaving God out listen I know that there's a a culture here that they don't want to talk about God. They don't want you to bring up God in your conversation to them. But there are many who love to talk about God, and they love to say that God's going to bless their plans. So they're like, God's not left out of the equation. Their presumption is that I will make my plans, and I will ask God to bless it, rather than giving a clean slate and say, wait a minute, God, you reveal your plans for me. And so that's the presumption, either leaving God out of the equation or asking him to bless our plans rather than asking what his will for our lives is from the very beginning. Now, who's in control of all this? In the 1980s, there was a TV show called Who's the Boss? And and so we need to decide for today and for the rest of our lives, are we going to be the boss or are we going to let Jesus Christ be the Lord of our lives and give us that direction? Do we trust him with that? Whatever that looks like, do we live presumptuously? or Are we saying, listen, Lord, I'm here for your purposes, but I'm expendable when you're done with me? That's up to you. I'll tell you something that changed my life. When in 2001, Tina and I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans and heard the testimony of one of our missionaries. He was 34 years old. Serving God faithfully in northern Africa in a difficult place. And he had lung cancer. His name was Gary Lackey. I think we have a picture of Gary. Not positive, but um, Gary Lackey was his name. And and Gary had lung cancer and began to give his testimony. And and he was trying to get somebody to come and and to fill his shoes. There's a picture of he and his son. He, He was trying to get somebody to... Come, Listen, when, when God takes me home, somebody else needs to be able to step in my shoes there in northern Africa. Now, God didn't call me on that day to go to northern Africa, but a year later in St. Louis, we were back at the convention again, and we saw a video of his testimony because Gary had gone to be with Jesus. And so here's how his testimony, and I never forgot that. That's why I was able to go back and pull this up this week. Never forgot that because it made me ask this question. And I don't know if you've asked a similar question this morning, but I hope that this word will make you think about it. But I said, Lord, am I okay, because I was 31 and 32 in those two years, am I okay if you decide to call me home today? Or if I live to be 34 years of age, like Brother Gary here, if I live to be 34 years of age with my young wife, my my children very small, if I live to be 34 years of age, am I okay with that? And and God brought me to a place where I said, you know what? I want to say everything I need to say. I want to write down everything I need to write down in my journals because there may be a time that God says, I am finished with you. And I'm calling you home. And so through that testimony and through those years, God brought me to a place. And I'm not going to say that he gave my, the rest of my family a peaceful well, Dad, you know, if, if I'm done with you, you can you go on home. But, but he brought me to a place personally where I said, okay, God, whatever you've got me here on earth for, I want to fulfill that purpose. And if it's for another year, another two years, or uh, another 80 years, life is a vapor anyway. I want to be here for Your." purposes as long as you need me here. Because this life is a vapor whether you live to be eight or whether you live to be 80. And there are some people who die at a young age that pack more into this life than some who live for a long time because they live it for his purposes. So that testimony changed my life. I think of a poem by C.T. Studd. Now my favorite line by missionary for from a few centuries ago, C.T. Studd. My favorite line that he ever said was that some people want to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue a yard from the gates of hell. Steve Camp wrote a song about that, that quote, and I love that statement. But he also wrote a poem that many of you have one line on, on a plaque, maybe somewhere around your home. The poem was entitled, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. I'm just going to read two of the stanzas. You can Google it and read the rest of it for yourself. But I just want to read two of the stanzas that he penned in this poem because I think they're very provocative as we come to a place of decision to not live our lives presumptuously. He says, "'Give me, Father, a purpose deep. Enjoy our sorrow, thy word to keep.'" Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last." We need to repent of any presumptuous living where we're saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And God, whether you bless it or not, I sure hope you will. I pray that you will, but this is my plan. I'm going to do it my way, as Frank Sinatra is saying. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to ask God's blessings, but regardless, I'm going to live my life my way. That's a presumptuous way of life. God could call us home today. And I want to be found faithful before him doing what he called me to do when he calls. Secondly, I want us to recognize, and I believe James would have us recognize the preciousness of life. And I know we've already emphasized that, but he says you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. There's so many of us here this morning that have gone through things and have lost loved ones, and we could say a big amen to this. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What will it be? you're a bit of smoke, you're a vapor, you appear for a little while, it vanishes away. Do we live with that in mind? Jesus told a parable. You don't have to turn there, but listen to the words of Christ when he told the parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 16. He told them a parable, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want to be so rich toward God and rich in the things of God. I want to disciple my children. I don't want to disciple the body of Christ to be rich in the things toward God so that when God calls us home, we would have laid up treasures In heaven for his glory. What are you living for? You're living for retirement? You're waiting to serve Christ one day in the future? You feel too old to serve Christ? Do you feel too young to serve Christ? I'm glad somebody told me when I was a teenager, and, and those of you in high school, especially, listen up because you're going to be graduating, heading out before you know it. But Ecclesiastes 12:1, where it says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember, there is a Creator God who created you for a purpose, to glorify Him, to live your life for His pleasure, to seek Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to, to love Him and to know Him personally. You were designed with a purpose, and you'll never be happy apart from that purpose. There are so many of us, who, and listen, most of us don't want to go back and relive the high school years, do we? Anybody here, you think, man, I want to go back and relive those? Most of us don't. But sometimes we look at their energy and we look at the passion of our young people, and, and I believe when there's going to be a great revival, those young people are going to lead the way. When we look at that energy and that passion, I find myself, you know, one of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life, and remember the scene where Jimmy Stewart's kind of, he doesn't really know how to flirt, he doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to communicate his uh, love or infatuation or whatever it is, for the young lady on the sidewalk out in front of the old house, and so the old man that's kind of spying on the whole conversation, he just finally yells and says, "You gonna kiss her or what?" And when he can't get through to him, he makes this statement, and I think so many of us that are getting older feel the same way. He goes, "Youth is wasted on all the wrong people." You ever felt like that, young people? You have a chance to do something for the glory of God and. If you put it off, you'll miss out on channeling some of the most energetic days of your life, some of the days most filled with passion and strength and sensitivity. Serve God now and let that lay a foundation for doing greater things than your parents or grandparents ever did for the kingdom of God. If you don't, if you wait, you'll live with regrets. You'll build up habits that you can't break. You'll have consequences in your life that limit you. Presumption, some presumption sometimes in the church means we presume on God's grace. It's where young people say, listen, I've been taught that God is a gracious God, so if I don't live for him now, he'll give me forgiveness later. And listen, that may happen, but you'll never have as much potential as you have on this day. Even though God can restore the years of locusts, you can do some things that will compromise opportunity and forfeit opportunity in the future. I've heard it put this way before, if a a great athlete with a lot of potential and a lot of promise when he's 16, 17 years old and and maybe all the colleges are pursuing this great athlete, if he goes out and he fills his body with alcohol and he gets in a car and he is involved in a bad accident and he loses both legs, but the doctors save him, can he get forgiveness for filling his body with alcohol and getting behind the wheel of a car? Yes, yes. Will he have the same opportunities athletically? No, he will live with scars that keep him from doing what he once had an opportunity to do. And I believe there are people in the body of Christ that would say to our young people this morning, don't wait to serve God because there may be some things that you do, some decisions that you make that those consequences limit or forfeit opportunities you would have for God in the future. Hebrews 3, 7 And 15 says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. And listen, you you may be older today and you've got a hard heart. Let God soften and tender that heart so you can give God the time that's left. The Winans used to sing a song. And I remember when I was a teenager, I would hear this song. And it was always a wake-up call for me when I heard this song. But they would sing the song that said, tomorrow... Question mark. Tomorrow, who promised you tomorrow? Better choose the Lord today. Your tomorrow very well may be too late. And finally, for Christian homes and for the body of Christ this morning, once we repent of that presumptuous living and recognize just how precious life is, we need to rearrange our priorities with God's purposes at the center. There are a lot of us this morning that that really it would do us a lot of good to go home today and to write down our priorities. Write it in your journal and be sure that you work those priorities into your calendar throughout the week. Now what are the priorities? Go back to verse 15. What should we say? What ought we say, he said, instead, you should say, or you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. The priority should be God's will, God's plan, God's calling on my life. Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things that you've been worried about. And by the way, that's in a context in Matthew 6 where he's talking about learning how to not worry, right? And he says, the way you overcome worry about all these things that you want, he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll take care of the rest. All these things will be added unto you. He will bless you immeasurably. He will cause you to appreciate the kind of blessings that he wants to give in your life. And so rearrange your priorities with God's purpose, God's will in mind. Listen, it was said of David, I I told you my testimony of hearing the missionary speak, Gary Lackey, back now uh, over 15 years ago. Acts 13 and verse 36 speaks of David and he says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. He was saying, when God was finished with him, when he had served his purpose, and I don't know at what age I will be, I like to try to plan my life sometimes a little presumptuously, right? And say, well, you know, I'm probably midway through the third quarter right now. And um, being a dog fan or a falcon fan, midway through the third quarter is no time to give up, even if I think I'm a little bit ahead, right? Man, I want to finish strong. But I don't know that I'm midway through the third quarter. I could be in the, the, the last two minutes of the ball game. And so I want to live every moment of my life knowing that when God's purpose is fulfilled in my life for my generation, that I will one day fall asleep. So I'll rearrange my priorities accordingly. Now there's a big picture of, of our purpose that we see in all of Scripture. God's purpose for having you in this world. First of all, to worship and glorify God through a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, to reach and rescue those who are without God and without hope. You ever thought, man, I could worship God a lot better in heaven, couldn't I? I could could seek him and glorify him and know him. I see through a glass dimly right now, but one day I'm going to see him face to face, praise the Lord. So when it comes to worshiping glorifying God, just bring me on to heaven. But wait a minute, God still has a purpose for me on earth to reach and rescue those who are without God and without hope. So I'm to know him and I'm to make him known. I'm to be a disciple and make disciples of all nations. That's the great commission. I'm to live in community with the body of Christ. God has called me this side of heaven to experience a little bit of kingdom life. And being part of the kingdom means that I live in community with the body of Christ. That's why we beg with so many of you and plead with you. Get involved in a small group. Get involved in a life group. Get involved in a Wednesday night Bible study. Get to know people. It's, it's great that you're here for the corporate worship service, but be in community. Get to know a, a group of believers that you have certain affections with and an and understanding of it, that you build that family relationship with them. And so we're here to live in community with the body of Christ, to be a picture of the kingdom of God on earth, and then to use our gifts and our passions and the design, how God made us to live on mission, serving him for his glory. A great resource Rick Warren put out two decades ago that would help you with this is Purpose Driven Life. We have some copies here. We can get you a copy if you've never read that. But discover how you were created to live and fulfill these purposes in your life. That's why a mission trip is so important. When we talk about the purpose summit here and we say we want our students, especially sometime during their high school years, we want them to be able to go on a mission trip. A mission trip like the one we took to Peru or like the one they took to Charleston, wherever it may be, serves as a microcosm of the Christian adventure. The joy, the excitement, the challenges, the goals, the long flights, the frustrating moments all of those become a picture of what really the Christian journey is all about. The mission trip also reveals a world that doesn't revolve around me. I'll never forget when I went to Haiti and came back. I didn't complain about how messed up my car was <laughs> and how ugly it looked anymore. I was glad that I was driving a car. I didn't have to have the latest in fashion. I was just glad that I was wearing shoes when so many people around the world weren't wearing shoes and so it reveals a world that doesn't revolve around me, but a world that God created for His glory, and it gives me a heart for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it gives me a heart for His kingdom, and it gives me a heart for the lost people in this world, and so as we discover God's purpose, one of the best things you can ever do is go on a mission trip and experience these things. The priorities of the kingdom must be or Our priorities must be rearranged to reflect the priorities of the kingdom. That should take place even not only in the classrooms and not only in a one and not only in this church. It should take place in your home. It should take place in my home where we rearrange those priorities. You know, Proverbs 22.6, many of you can quote Proverbs two six. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Some scholars tell us that the that, that way he should go, that the training up there is according to his bent, according to his design or her design. Help them discover how God created them and, and how God designed them and what he made them for. And he says, when you do that, when they're old, they will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs speaks, this is one of the rules of biblical interpretation in the book of Proverbs, right? Proverbs speaks proverbially. What does it mean to be proverbial? It's, it's what Solomon often said in writing many of the Proverbs is that I've observed these things. More often than not, this is how it works out. As I, as I observe things, listen, it may not always be the case every time, but more often than not, overwhelming majority of the time. If you train up a child in the way they should go when they are old, they will not depart from it. The reason I say it's proverbial, that it's a proverb, is you may know somebody that did everything right and their kids rebelled and you say, well, they must not have done everything right. It's not 100% of the time, but it, it, it's, it's a proverb. The Bible calls it the book of Proverbs, not the book of promises. It's proverbial. Now, having said that, having said that, not all kids will embrace the faith of their parents. But proverbially, Most often it's the case that when kids do not embrace the life journey of living for Christ, more often than not, it was not a priority in the home. It simply wasn't. When we want to see a generation knowing and loving and serving Jesus Christ, and that's not taking place, not every time, but more often than not, it's the case that when the next generation doesn't prioritize these things. It's because the parents, the grandparents didn't model it, didn't prioritize that in the home. So that means we need to repent from presumptuous living. We need to recognize the preciousness of life. And many of us today need to rearrange some priorities, placing the will of God first and foremost in our lives. The invitation this morning is simply this. For some of you, it's salvation. You've been putting it off and putting it off and saying, listen, I know that when I lay my my head on my pillow at night, I know that I don't have the peace that I would spend eternity with Jesus. But one day I'll get it right. You don't know that you have another day. Don't put it off. Your life is a vapor. Live for Him today. For many of us, that means we need to seek Him afresh and anew. For many here that are mature in their faith, you are at a crossroads in life and you are just trying to decide, okay, whether it's college or midlife crisis or, or coming up on those retirement years, you're having to say, what am I going to do next? Are you going to make the decision or are you going to put it in his hands and say, Lord, you got me. So I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning.